What is important to you? Well, define important. What do you mean? Okay. The ultimate would be, what is so important you would die for it? There was a movie in the theaters about 10 years ago called The Last Ounce of Courage. It was highly acclaimed by groups that I trust, and I'd hope to see it with Becky when it was, very briefly, in the theaters. We missed it. But, as I understand it, in this movie, a young man dies for his country as a soldier. As time goes on, the very values for which he died seemed challenged by his family. And they, including the teenage son that was a baby when he died, must make decisions as to whether they will defend those values at some cost to themselves. A cost that, if I understand the movie right, could result in jail time for the father of the dead hero, grandfather to the teenager. This could make the question for us somewhat less daunting. What is so important to us that if we had to spend time in jail to keep it, that would be okay? But let's make it more interesting yet. What is so important to us that we'd be glad to go to jail if it would be a benefit to whatever this important thing is? We're in church. You're listening to a minister of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not like you don't know where we're going here. Almost. You've chosen the right thing. You've taken the action. But now some bad news happens because you are doing right. How does the good news look now that it is accompanied by bad news. Let me give you our scriptural setting. Some three or four years earlier, Paul had been arrested out of a violent situation where he was nearly killed. He spent more than two of those years in house arrest under the governor Felix. A new governor is put in place by Rome, Festus. He keeps him under house arrest. But he also wants to please the Jews over whom he is ruling, to avoid being placed at their non-existent mercy, Paul is forced to appeal to Caesar, a Roman citizen's right. They now spend months getting to Rome. In the middle of that trip, they are shipwrecked but escape to the island of Malta and are forced to stay there for the winter. Now Paul is still under house arrest, but in Rome, where he waits for his case to be reviewed for two more years. He's under the constant surveillance of Roman soldiers. There's some strong evidence to support the contention that he was continuously chained wrist to wrist with a succession of guards. What we do know for sure is that at least one member of the Praetorium, the Imperial Guard, was always within a few steps of Paul. We're going to talk about Paul's response to this situation at a later date. But now we're back to our question again. When in proclaiming the good news, we get a result that's definitely bad news, how would we respond? How should we respond? I'd like to take Paul's situation and some of the things theologians and historians think might have been happening and project us into them so we can see what might happen. You ready? Okay, Paul writes about his situation to the church that loves him, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, I said we'd talk about Paul's situation later, but I mean, wow, is this guy focused or what? <laughs> and do note on what he is focused, the advance of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Some years ago, Brittany and I were watching Becky Shirts and the other girls play high school volleyball. And I'm telling you, when they started, their concentration, the, the level of concentration, it was admirable. They had their minds focused on one thing, volleyball. All right, they're kids, and they wavered some through the said, you know, the crowd's yelling, especially the boys. <clears throat> uh, their parents were there, their pastors were there, their coaches. It's pretty hard to keep your mind on just the game. Still, they were pretty focused because they loved the game. But no matter how important volleyball is to you, or tennis in my case, my parents were shocked when I didn't marry a tennis player. Kid you not, they thought <laughs> that was going to... Uh, our son has a t-shirt that says, baseball is life. <laughs> okay. Ultimately, no matter how important these seem, they are temporary. The apostle knows this. The good news of Jesus Christ leads to eternal life for those who will believe. Do you think tennis, volleyball, baseball, whatever it is for you is fun? It brings joy, and I, I hope it does. And you should participate in it as if you were doing it for Christ, because, well, you are. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing in this life, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, social, mental, anything that begins to compare with the flat-out joy of the simplest things in our eternal life. Paul knows this. So he doesn't care that the metal grates against his wrist at all times. Because the gospel is advanced so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Can we be glad because people knew we were in jail simply because we're Christians? I mean, could we be glad about that? <laughs> could we be glad when people laugh at us because we are Christians? How about when they think we are stupid? Well, usually they say ignorant. <laughs> Apparently, we just don't really grasp the truth. But the reality is that they think that if we believe Jesus rose from the grave, we're really mental lightweights. I mean, are you glad about that? <laughs> At the end of this letter, Paul writes, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, the term household then included all those who worked for you. In the Caesar's case, this included the praetorium, all those guards who knew Paul was imprisoned for Christ, some of whom apparently believed. Sooner or later, somebody is going to be talking to somebody else about your faith. Can you believe that she really thinks there is a God who created everything? Can you believe he actually thinks some Jewish carpenter was the son of God? And together they'll laugh at you. But one of them will just have that little tickle in the back of their brain. You see, they know you. And they know you are a reasonable person. Someone who thinks. Someone who loves. And they just can't quite think of you as stupid. Or dangerous. And eventually, they ask someone, maybe you, and they find out more. And they believe. Is it worth it to us 
to suffer rejection and ridicule by who knows how many people <laughs> so that one can believe. So that one can join us in the promise of eternal life. And what about those who already believe with us? How do they react when we joyfully endure this sort of abuse? And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Confident and bold to speak the word without fear at all? Maybe Paul is not saying without fear in the sense of having no fear, but rather in the sense of no fear holding them back. Courage in this world is not the absence of fear. In fact, if you aren't afraid, it takes no courage to do anything. Any idiot can go out and risk his life when he's too stupid to be afraid. <laughs> Real courage is demonstrated when a person does what is right, even though fear assails them at every turn. But after a while, fear isn't fear anymore. It becomes another thing, independent from what we do, even independent from us. And in that sense, many courageous people have no fear. No fear of the kind that paralyzes them, anyway. So maybe Paul really does mean no fear, at least for some of them. These believers in Rome watched Paul as he reacted in joy because the imperial guard and everyone else knew it was really not about him. It was about Christ. You can practically hear them talking to one another. If Paul can endure the constant domination of Rome's most elite soldiers and still preach Christ, then can't we endure a little criticism for Jesus? What's the worst that can happen? Jail? Paul's doing okay there? And eventually they forgot they were afraid and became much more bold. Our courage affects others, especially as we get older. That's one of the main points of the movie that I mentioned. When an 80-year-old quietly says, no, it's not like that. This is how it is. People really notice their courage, especially the young people. You may have heard it said that revolutions are started by the young. That's not true. Revolutions are carried out by the young following the leadership of one or more who are older. Sometimes charismatic leaders who are evil to the core. <laughs> but often, older people of truth with real courage are the catalyst for sweeping revolutions that maybe are carried out by the young. Especially that special form of revolution that is called revival. <laughs> Never, ever underestimate the power of one person standing in true courage for Jesus Christ. You want a revival? Let others see you stand for Jesus, especially if you are older. Let young people see you stand for Christ. You can cause many to become confident in the Lord and to speak boldly in his name. But alas, not all who preach Christ do so from pure motives. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former <sighs> proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
Let's deal with the good guys first, the people in the middle. Some preach Christ from goodwill, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The love is agape, that pure and powerful Christian love. That love accompanied by knowledge and discernment, as we discussed last week. The discernment they had is that Paul was put here, appointed to, the defense of the good news. This is his job, what God made him for. And well, what did you think would happen in that world with those conflicts? What is going to happen to an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ? As far as we know, every last one of them was arrested and most, maybe all, of them executed for their faith. The Philippian believers understood that Paul's imprisonment was pretty much a given considering his position. So because they loved Paul and he wasn't free to carry the message to the people, they carried that message in his place. That part's easy to understand and we can see it without any great difficulty. When people who truly love us see us suffer for Christ, they tend to stand up and say, hey, I'm with him, or her if that's your gender. It's those people on the outside of this chiasm that are so troublesome. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Envy. They didn't like Paul being more important than they were. having more success than they do, made worse by the fact that he's in jail and still doing more than they are. Rivalry. Not in loving support of Paul, but attempting to pull people away from following his teaching. They display selfish ambition rather than the goodwill and agape love the righteous people do. You may have noticed this in some people with whom your life has collided. There are a number of thoughts about who these opponents of Paul's are and what he means by preach and by afflicting. On that last, I should tell you the wonderful word picture that Paul uses for what is here translated, afflict me in my imprisonment. The Greek words are actually add pressure to my chains. (laughs) Isn't that a great mental picture of what these people are doing to him? Or at least think they are doing to him. They want to make it worse for him. It's that old sin of knocking other people down so that you can look like you're higher. (laughs) Of course, it doesn't actually give anyone a better reputation. It's never worked. But people keep trying it. So these opponents, who were they? Now, some think they were immature Gentile believers. Some think they were Jewish believers who couldn't let go of the old ways. But I think and some think they could be unbelievers. I know that sounds kind of weird at first. Why would they be preaching Christ at all if they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead? But think about it for a moment. If that is who Paul is referring to, then he's using literary irony. Uh, We'd call it sarcasm. In other words, people who were opposing Paul and intended to preach against Christ. But the effect of what they were doing was actually to promote knowledge of Jesus. You know, I say, well, <laughs> it would have worked like this. Jewish religious leaders who had rejected Jesus came to Rome to accuse Paul. In accusing Paul, they would have to say what he did wrong. 
They would complain that Paul was teaching Gentiles that they could have access to God and eternal life without the use of the law that Moses gave the children of Israel. And what would be the natural next question of the Romans to whom they were talking? If he says we don't need the law, then what does he say? <laughs> well, he says it's this Jesus character. He says he's the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. They didn't mean to preach Christ, <laughs> but they did. You've probably experienced this yourself. Somebody says, don't listen to that man. What do we do? Yeah, we listen to the man. <laughs> don't date that boy. Well, that didn't work too well now, did it? <laughs> so if this is where Paul's going with this, then he's saying, yeah, they tried to make my life miserable. But all that happened was that even more people heard about Jesus. Well, our situation, we've kind of covered it. The more people put us down because we're Christians, the more other people there are who are going to be saying things like, what's so terrible about that? Maybe they don't say it out loud, but they're thinking it. If somebody says, man, they're stupid. They believe this guy rose from the dead. They'd probably say, really? <laughs> yeah, and they believe that we have some kind of soul in us that lives forever, even when our bodies die. Can you believe it? Wow. I don't know. Maybe I can. <laughs> Are you okay with the bad news when it advances the good news? But what if these people, wishing to cause Paul trouble, are Jewish believers who want to hold on to the past? Then it's going to affect more than just themselves. They want to make all believers, even the Gentiles, live like Jewish believers of the time before Christ lived keeping all the laws of Moses. So they would be adding weight to Paul's chains by pulling people away from the pure gospel of grace to Moses plus Jesus. Not so much causing trouble for him with his jailers, but making the situation more troublesome to his soul because of their misleading of those he loves, making his chains feel heavier because his heart was heavy. And, and let's just be honest here. It's really hard to let go of the past. The music that Martin Luther and Charles Wesley and other great people of the faith wrote was wonderful music. <sighs> but as much as I love to hear the words of a, for instance, Fanny Crosby song, we need to let it go. <laughs> that music just isn't going to bring in the young people of today. It's just not going to bring them into church. But maybe, maybe for us it's the other way around. Is it okay with us that there are people out there who can't let go of the past and yet are preaching the gospel? Maybe even causing trouble for us and yet telling people about Christ. Is preaching the gospel more important than the music? Even when we're right <laughs> that it needs to change. Can we rejoice that the gospel is preached even when the songs that come with it creak? They're so old. <laughs> or the building is musty, or the format is ancient, or they use Elizabethan English in their prayers and their Bible reading. When they get all this wrong, but are still preaching the gospel, are we filled with joy? Back to what Paul meant. The idea that seems to me the toughest of all to support is that immature believers were out there preaching the gospel. In his little book on Philippians, H.A. Ironside, great man of God, he makes the point that gifted men had held back on preaching the good news earlier, but when they saw how Paul was doing, even while in jail, they were encouraged to boldly preach. 
But Ironside believed just so some who were not qualified to preach had become jealous of the fame Paul had, even while incarcerated, so they began to preach when they shouldn't have. What would we do if some obviously unqualified people started to go out there and preach Christ when they also obviously didn't know what they were doing? They are telling people the wrong things about the Scriptures. They give people bad advice or treat them poorly. Would we still be able to say, at least Jesus is being preached? Like I said, this idea is the toughest one for me. I grew up in a denomination that seemed to attract and even encourage preachers and evangelists with really sloppy scholarship, and I'm being kind. I've watched more people walk away from the good news of Jesus Christ because it had been so poorly represented or even misrepresented than I care to remember. And this is the primary reason I don't think Paul refers to believers. But the majority of theologians seem to disagree with me, so I'm probably wrong. (laughs) There's an excellent chance that Paul was rejoicing, even though immature believers with poor, even non-existent training were out there trying to represent Christ, and they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. When people don't even know that Jesus exists, then any news about him is good news. (laughs) Even if the reason they preach is not sincere, not even the truth. The reason may not be the truth, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So rejoice! Joy! What if the bad news is so overwhelming you don't feel like rejoicing? You don't feel any joy. Joy, like love, is not first something you feel. It is rather something you know. And if life gets really, really tough, the Apostle Paul was eventually released from house arrest and went on to proclaim the gospel in other areas, including back at Philippi. But he was only free for a few years. And this time... When he was arrested, he didn't have guards right next to him all the time. It wasn't necessary because he was in a dungeon with little freedom and no chance of escaping with his life. He wrote his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, while in that dungeon. He does mention joy in that letter, but only a joy he knows he will never have. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Hmm. As far as we know, he never saw Timothy again in this life. And he saw no one as a free man. But in spite of this, he said some amazing things to Timothy. I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. When the bad news seems to overwhelm our souls, how will we respond? Life isn't always such that we can bounce up and down like when we were kids and sing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. 
Tifa Phillips is a singer and writer of songs. Her dad had a painful but relatively short battle with cancer, including developing an associated dementia for the last year of his life, his worst nightmare. On the very night he died, she went to her safe place, her piano, and began to play the chords that you will understand the moment you hear them. But God brought her to brought to her that very children's song that she too used to sing. In her words, the weight of loss hit my chest. I remembered my eyes were blurred with tears and I literally began to play the now familiar progression of joy. I kept cycling through the progression and then, as if it had already been written, I began to sing a different melody to a song I sang in VBS as a child. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. The truth is that I was terribly and profoundly sad. The reality of grief had not even entirely hit me yet. But at the same moment, I had a deep sense of peace. He was no longer in pain. He was no longer sick. He was free from all his ailments and restored. Although I still miss him, I know that God has weaved redemption through death into my father's story. That brings me great joy. It was not until grief became a part of my story that I realized that joy is not simply an expression but an attitude an acknowledgement of the deep peace of knowing a Savior listen to Tifa Phillips joy
believe it is important, Tifa writes. As a community that wants to comfort the weary, we allow space for those who are grieving, suffering, and experiencing loss to say, hey, I am hurting. I am in pain. It's okay to give them space to figure out what joy means in that time. She goes on to say, I now know that you can experience grief and joy simultaneously. And if not, that joy can and will come if you will allow it to. Evil may have many faces. Bad news may come in many forms. But joy has an answer to all of them. Do you know this joy? In that last letter of the Apostle Paul's knowing he will soon die, Paul wrote some amazing things to the young man who held such a place in his heart. Some things that demonstrated another face of the joy that Paul knew so well. He told Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Even with death so near, Paul endures. Endures for whom? Not for himself, for the elect, for those who will believe, for us. He speaks of the trouble that came to him and will come to all believers and of those who caused this trouble. But to Timothy he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no out. <laughs> we will have bad news in this life. Some trouble is simply because this is a fallen world and the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But some of it will be because we follow Jesus. Because we speak the good news of Christ Jesus. So, some of what Paul says to Timothy may apply to us as well. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the message of joy. Joy even in the midst of grief, pain, 
and suffering. We need to tell everyone that there is an eternal crown of righteousness prepared and waiting for us. This is the reality. (laughs) On that day, we will not just tell the good news, we will meet him. (laughs) Paul was an old man when he wrote this last letter. Some of you who are older need to speak about how you love the appearing of Jesus Christ can't imagine how powerful your words will be. I'm not sure where we will get the courage to say these words, the joy of true believing that will make the words ring out. But if we look forward to that day when Jesus Christ will appear, and know he will, help us to overcome the fear and say the words today. Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He proved it by raising from the grave. And in the midst of all the bad news of your life, i got some good news for you. (laughs) Some joyful news. He loves you. Will you not today turn your life over to Him? Even when there is bad news, especially when there is bad news, make this good news the most important thing in your life. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. As we watched Tifa recreate the moment that she sat down after her dad died. The pain in her heart And yet knowing that the joy was there. That they can exist together in this world. The pain will pass away. All that drives us in this life, the terrible things that happen, all of that goes away. But the joy stays. The joy stays. and goes with us into eternal life. When we will know joy unrestricted. Joy unmuddled by all of the pain of this life. Thank you, Father, that we can know in our hearts that you love us and that you give us this joy. Thank you, Father. Help us now to show it to other people somehow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.